Hello, everybody, and welcome back to We've Got Mail. Woo! Woot, as the kids say. Yes! As they definitely say in 2022. It's hip. It is now. With with a a small W and two zeros and a T. Woot. We are Groovy Man. My name is William Bibiani. I'm a critic. Everybody calls me Bibbs. My name is Whitney Seibold. Owned. Oh God! That's that's a thing still. That's what we that's sound defi- like, isn't yeah, it? That's, we 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 owned you. Not, that's not good. That's <laughs> or owned, depending on what. Uh, my name is Whitney Seibold. I'm yeah. a film critic. I'm a hip talking hep cat. I'm hep to the jive. And uh, either for a cool th- fruit really knows where his towel is. That's right. And for the purposes of this email, you can call me Rockmeister McCool because I'm so cool. And this is our podcast. We've got mail where you control the conversation right here at the critically acclaimed network. Here's how it works: you write to us and reread your stuff. Our email address is letters at criticallyacclaimed.net. However, if you so choose, you can also send us a physical, handwritten, or perhaps printed letter. Mm-hmm. And we have a P.O. box for that. What is our P.O. Uh, box? Yeah, right into the critically acclaimed network, P.O. box 641565, Los Angeles, California, 90064. Yeah. And uh, good news, we actually have a couple of letters to start we us do. off with today. And uh, I like to crinkle them so you know that they actually have some physical paper here. So I'll you know that they're from... And this one, oh, this one has things in it. Things? Let me see the things. Well, this one comes from Justin, and it looks like... There's a postcard for something called Sharkspeare. Ooh. Sharkspeare, the water ballet. Nice. <laughs> An advertisement for a show. Wa- oh my god! It's 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 not like a Sharkspeare, like we're spearing a shark. It's William Shakespeare, oh. but instead of the face of William Shakespeare, he's, he's got a shark head. Okay, these are all from Baltimore. Uh, the Ooh. Baltimore Rock Opera Society presents Space Kumite. Sp- K- Kumite was the uh, the fighting tournament from the movie Blood. Was it Bloodsport or Kickboxing? Uh, Bloodsport. 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 Right. Yeah, which is a real thing, by the way. Kumite. Uh, fluid uh, movement. Hitchcock presents the water ballet, a fluid movement production at the Druid Hill Park Pool. What? Shakespeare in water. Oh my god! I want to see that. And the Baltimore Rock Opera Society presents Glitterous Dragon Rising. That's G L I T T E R U S. You will okay. So the Kumite uh, uh, is a fighting tournament in zero gravity. Oh, it's, so it's like uh, Cirque du Soleil. Yeah, Space Kumite With singing. And what the hell? Why does everything here suck? I no, it's just that to... everything in Baltimore is awesome. Apparently. Um, uh, the, the, I'm going to read off of the... Before I read the letter, I'm going to read off the back of this oh uh, postcard God. for Glitterous Dragon Rising. Uh, save the dragon, save the world. Legendary Glitterous is the last remaining dragon in a world that has plunged into darkness of heart and spirit. In order to continue her continue her species and save the world, Glitterous assignment summons five mystics from scattered tribes to find her lost eggs. During the mystics' journey to save the baby Glitz and <laughs> defeat the power-hungry Tower Wizard... <laughs> symbolism. Uh, they laugh, they battle, Thanks, they Whitney. funk out with their junk out, and learn that they are stronger when they fight united. With psychedelic and anthemic rock music, intense vocal harmonies, and stoner metal plucking your earstrings, you will laugh, you will cry, you will slide out of your seats during glitterous colon dragon rising. Okay, I can see how John Waters came from this place. This is all... I remember I remember reading track. an essay from uh, uh, Sarah Vowell at one point, and she said that uh, until she went to Baltimore, she thought that John Waters' films were outlandish, and she realized, no, wait, that's just that's Baltimore. Baltimore. 
Uh, anyway, this one comes from Justin. Uh, Hi, dear Justin. Is, enclosed are some flyers from some shows in Baltimore that I have worked on oh that God. I think you will get a kick out of. Please enjoy them as bookmarks slash whatever, or please recycle. Oh, we're keeping those. Oh, we are keeping no, these. Bookmarks from Baltimore. We'll keep those. Yeah. Uh, Baltimore, for various reasons, has a thriving arts scene that, among other things, has developed a water ballet troupe and a rock opera theater company. I'm sending you these flyers because I think you will get a kick out of them, and listening to your many discussions about the arts has sharpened my understanding of many aspects of productions. I get a thrill when you mentioned something adjacent to these shows and I realized that we got a difficult thing right. The puppet rock <laughs> opera short I did was staged on a submarine what? and benefited from your discussions about how boring underwater scenes are. Oh my god, yes! <laughs> That's amazing! I'm so, I'm honored honestly. If you're gonna film underwater s- double the speed. Just speed, speed everything up. Cut away. What are we yeah, doing? Wa- wa- yeah. wa- watch Thunderball, and when you're back after a week of watching Thunderball. <laughs> uh, the next project I'm working on is a kaiju rom-com rock opera. I'd mean, love to hear your thoughts on what makes either of those genres tick. As always, thank you for being uh, you, and look me up for some reason if you end up near Baltimore. Best wishes, Justin. You even well, signed it by hand. Thank you, Justin. Uh, what, was the, what was the mashup you, uh, Justin uh, asked Kaiju about? rom-com rock opera. Okay, so that's actually three different genres. Well, uh, there's some overlap. We'll start with kaiju. Please. Uh, the, the best kaiju movies are the Godzilla movies. Mm. Well, the best kaiju yeah. movies are the ones where there's actually a person in a suit. That, that's true. That's yeah. true. Uh, the, the, the CG ones just never work right. There, there, there's it, a couple of good ones. Shin Godzilla is good. Shin Godzilla is good. Yeah. But uh, uh, usually there, there's a certain... There's, there's a. On one hand, it's very retro. Just, you know it's a guy in a suit. We're not yeah. pretending. We're not fooling anybody. But there's something... That we connect to in a very, forgive the expression, lizard brain <laughs> uh, kind of mentality where it's just like, that is someone walking through a large but scale-sized uh, city mm-hmm. and enjoying wrecking it. And we would all like to do that. <laughs> there's a part <laughs> you, of us that can, likes to wreck stuff. Well, it's just, it's really tactile. You yeah. can pick, you picture those little buildings kind of yeah. knocking over the... The way uh, like explosions look in slow in uh, miniature is really exciting. Uh, the way fire looks in miniature is really exciting. Yeah, I think the other thing that I I notice about a lot of the old Godzilla movies, and you've seen way more of them than I have, so I yield. I've, to your I've seen all of them today. If but, I'm yeah. if I'm wrong about this, I will yield to your expertise. But um, because they are people in suits, the vast majority of the older ones. Mm. Um, there's an element of them where the personality of the performer comes through a little bit, whether they're acting or, or, or not, and it feels a bit like a wrestling match after a while. Like, there's a little, <laughs> like, you can see, like, you know, Godzilla, like, putting up his dukes and, like, Aww. having sort of, like, a come get some hmm. kind of vibe, you know? Like, and there's a, there's, just, there's, there's a little humanity to it where it's just, it like, and then charging forward because we've and... just been introduced to some really, really awful monster, and the only way to, like, destroy him is a monster who begrudgingly likes us. Yeah. And, like, there's something about that that I think is just very simple, but works. The, uh, the way I've always seen uh, Godzilla is, like, the 55-year-old bouncer at a bar. Yeah. Like, he, he's just the sort... He's been there. He's seen yeah. the shows. He's a little burnt out. His tattoos are faded. Yeah. Yeah, Like, it, he has... Uh, he lost the tip of his finger at a concert once. Like, he's... He's, <laughs> he, he's seen some shit, man. Yeah. And he was there, and he was, like, a bouncer at other big concerts, and now he's working at this bar. And he's always there, and he's always got a story, mm-hmm. if he's cool enough to talk to you. Yeah. But, you know, he's not gonna mix with the customers. That's... That's... Old school Godzilla. I lo- I kind of want to see mm. like an actual movie that's like a kaiju roadhouse, 
It's just that's like Roadhouse colon Annihilation or something. Or or just have actors do it, but they're named after the Toho monsters. Nice. Meanwhile, like that wispy little lizard thing from Roland Emmerich's movie, that's like a guy who went to a Nickelback concert, going to that bar and thinking he's cool. It's like, yeah, man, I'm cool. I'm going to cause some trouble. Yeah. I'm going to do cocaine in the parking lot and then go in this bar. And then, like, the real Godzilla says, behave. Yeah. No. Son. No. L- look. Look. <laughs> I've, I, I've, I've been guarding the, Japan for a long I've time. I've seen this. House. Let me tell you how this story ends. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like, yeah. It's like, oh, I'm going to start something. Pun- like, punch in the throat. <laughs> okay, yeah. now breathe. Now breathe. All right, all right. I just punched you in the throat. You're all right. Yeah. Let's get you a beer. No, no. No, a real beer. <laughs> I want a mason jar full of Pabst Blue Ribbon with one green olive in it. <laughs> what is that? I actually, I was in a bar once with my father. My father used to, uh, my father was a biker. Mm-hmm. And uh, he would repair and restore uh, British motorcycles, mostly from the 60s, like Nortons and Triumphs. And I went to a lot of biker bars with him, and I knew a lot of bikers. And mm-hmm. I not not like the 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 mean Hell's Angels type, just like the old men who have just well, driven well, across every continent on a beat up Harley Davidson. No, not a Harley Davidson. They didn't like Harley Davidson. That beat up, <laughs> they didn't. It, they, but like they were on a beat up Commando, right. and they like repaired it themselves along the way. Like mm-hmm. they just they've just been everywhere and done Thick everything. Guys, long gray beards. There says. was this. There was we were. I forget where we were. We were in like California when my dad was delivering a motorcycle to somebody in northern california and we were just driving up and then at some point we just turned right off of the highway and we went i swear to god like 10 miles down a dirt road with nothing <laughs> and then all of a sudden we hit a bar and this there was no, there's there. nothing else there it's just this bar that is out in the middle of nowhere like on purpose and all it was was a dive bar with a gigantic music venue in the back, and like Hendrix had oh. played there and shit. Oh, I know what place. I know what place you're you, talking you know about. Let me look it up. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, but I'll they look, had a they had a drink there, and I think they called it a Dennis Hopper Martini, and it was literally just a Pat's Blue Ribbon with one green olive in it, and it was great. Mm. So, anyway, where are we going with this? Uh, uh, bouncers and stuff. Just um, bouncers and stuff. Yeah. Um, the, 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 you're, you know what you wanted this? Oh gosh, it. it it's the bar where they... F- the only reason I know about it is because it's the bar where they filmed The Howling Part 7. Uh, that's, <laughs> that's, that tracks. Yeah, that's... That tracks. That, that's, that's the one That I is know. a very Whitney Seibold <laughs> sentence to say. Um, I'm going to move on to the next statement because you've mentioned three different genres. The second genre you mentioned is the rom-com genre. Yeah. The rom-com genre is actually... V- there's a lot of different nuts and bolts. And if you really want to see like every cliche of the rom-com genre... Uh, shoved into one movie you need to watch the david wayne film they came together it is a parody of romantic comedies but it has all of the cliches in it they make fun of them but they do so lovingly however if you want the simplified one sentence reduction of every good romantic comedy i got it for you at the beginning of the movie you can't imagine them together but at the end of the movie you can't imagine them apart. Aww, That's nice. it. That's every good romantic comedy right there. Boom. Done. So as long as at the beginning of the movie, they don't belong together, but over the course of the film, some stuff happens that makes them grow closer, and they realize that they need each other in their lives. Boom. You've got a good romantic comedy. It doesn't even have to be that um, funny. You might be thinking of Peppy and Harriet. Maybe. 
Which is in Pioneer Town, California. That sounds that sounds plausible. I'd have to take a look at some pictures. All right. Uh, but quite probably. But that yeah. <laughs> that's where they film the Howling Seven. Yeah. Uh, and as for uh, rock opera, you're going to need some rock, and you're going to need an opera. Well, th- this is the rock opera troupe. Like this is what they do. So, so they I, th- need I think to worry they have the, You've the, got the rock opera. The rock thing opera down. thing. I think they have covered. Then my, yeah. then my glibness is unnecessary. Uh, here, here's my recommendation for romantic comedies because this always drives me nuts. There's mm. going to be uh, a lie or a misunderstanding of some kind mm-hmm. that uh, will be late, revealed late at the end the of film. Act Two. Like that, maybe they got together under some kind of subterfuge or. Mm-hmm. Um, there was uh, a misunderstanding so, yeah. where you saw them with their ex-girlfriend and you mm. assumed they were back together. And, and so then, you immediately yeah. got back with your ex. And yeah, there, there's going to be a moment when that's revealed. And then there's this period near the end of the movie in the third act where the, the two mm. are apart. And we're just sort of biding our time until they get back together. again. Yeah. Leave that part out. Uh-huh. I, 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 that's it's a dull, contrived part where we don't which we don't need. There, there, we just what, you, they see it. And I would love to see. I saw you with your ex. And I was always suspicious of that, but I trust you. Yeah. So let's just stay together, okay? And just end it there. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You want to inject some element of drama towards the end. Mm. That is the one of the most annoying hackneyed parts yeah. of any rom com, and there rom coms have done it well. If if but they're of course they're going do. for that kind of like cliche structure, that yeah. may be included. Yeah. If you if, want it to be like sort of parodic, mm. then yeah, then that's something you want to do. But if you're trying well, how, to how, avoid how, that and make something uh, truly great. Find another way to inject suspense in it besides the obvious contrivance. How about a a kaiju is racing through an airport, but then it just eats the plane? (laughs) (laughs) No, don't get on that plane! I'm picturing Godzilla running through the airport like in Jerry Brown. He lets you in his mouth, (laughs) and he breathes fire on top of you. Anyway... Uh, thank you for writing in these. These are all awesome things. Let's have, read the next have, letter. Have a, a kaiju holding a boombox above its head, <laughs> saying "da da 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 da." I did not have time to Photoshop that, but I wish I did. <laughs> all right, here is another paper letter. Ooh, very nice. Crinkle that one. Ooh, and is this? Uh, I, I was about to compliment the handwriting, but this is actually There's hang, a uh, it's typed in a very nice handwritten font. Nice. Uh, and this one comes from uh, Alfonso. Hi, Alfonso. Hello, Alfonso. Uh, dear Bibbs and Whitney, I just listened to your episode on Star Trek V. Ah. Uh, we re- recently covered Star Trek V on our Star Trek podcast. Our Star Trek podcast is a Patreon-exclusive podcast. Mm-hmm. We're watching every single Star Trek ever. Uh, we're about to hit the end of Star Trek The Next Generation Season 2, and towards the end of that season, Star Trek V came out, which is generally considered one of the worst Star Trek movies. Yeah, during one of... One of, what is often considered the worst season of Next Generation. Uh, yeah, it so, was a bad yeah. year, yeah. Um, I just got uh, uh, Star Trek V, and I wanted to share my own experience. That scene with Kirk's pain affected me quite deeply. Mm. It helped me to redefine myself rather profoundly. Wow. Although my early life was in many ways blessed, I grew up in Bolivia under alternating fascist and communist regimes with interregnums that sometimes devolved into pure anarchy. My family was rich, connected, and powerful, but had to flee our homes and or our country more than once, whether revolution or assassination attempts, including from uh, from other family members. Obviously, this alone makes it rather hard to grow up stable and well-balanced, so when I lost in succession my grandmother, who, was, who raised me, my unborn child, and my eight-year-old sister, it was a bit much. I lost my faith in pretty much everything, and I lost many years of my life floating around aimlessly. Oh, wow. I don't want this letter to get too long, so I'll summarize. By returning to my main point, 
Kirk's statement about needing his pain, about it being an essential part of him, resonated with me. To this day, I carry that pain and others that came after, but it doesn't consume me anymore. It hasn't dulled. I can still fall into despair quite easily if I dwell on it, but eventually the moment passes. I use that pain to fuel my drive to help others, to empathize with even the worst among us. I'm not a saint, not by a wide margin, but more often than anyone I know, I'm the one talking people off ledges, figuratively speaking, and helping to heal relationships. Without my early experiences, without my pain, mm. I might have remained a self-centered, callous person, like many of my friends and relatives who are born to privilege. You can't prove the negative, so maybe I have found a healthier path to happiness, but this is how I got here, as awful as... Uh, and as awful as a movie it might have been, Star Trek V played a role in that. I appreciate how openly you both speak of your own emotional challenges, Bibbs in particular, and of course I love your reviews and discussions, and especially your frequent digressions. Your friend you've never met, Alfonso. Well, we've met you now. Uh, Alfonso, um, thank you so much, and that's a great letter, and, um, you know, I, I think it speaks to something that I, I believe, but I it's, it's hard to quantify. Mm-hmm. I firmly believe that every movie, even a movie that most people would consider not good mm. or not interesting, uh, is at some point a movie someone needs to see that day. Mm. And that's true for music. That is true for books. That is true for uh, paintings. Um, not every single person who experiences a work of art is going to have an epiphany from it. Mm. However... We're all going through our own shit, and we're going through it at different times and in different ways. And when you're trying to say something in a work of art, and I will give Star Trek V, almost unilaterally uh, unilaterally derided motion picture, some credit. I think Shatner had some real ideas he was trying to mm. explore there. And we've mentioned before that the scene where Cybok uh, is trying to heal the pain of Spock and Bones and Kirk refuses saying I need my pain I refuse yeah. to I refuse to let go of it completely because it has made me who I am uh that that scene does feel like it really means something to Shatner and to the filmmakers and it is easily the best scene in the movie oh yeah even if I don't necessarily agree with every single part of it I think it is very passionate and if there's a moment in your life where you saw that scene and it really connected to you, I'm glad Star Trek V exists. And I'll say mm. that for any movie, really. If there's some... You're having a horrible day, something bad's happening, you've never been able to put something into words, mm. you never felt like anyone truly understood what you were feeling, and then you watch one movie, even if it's not... I don't care if it's Mickey Blue Eyes or American Assassin or some <laughs> mediocre thing that nobody ever really thinks highly of. If that's the movie that matters to you that day, that's an important mm. movie. Yeah, yeah, it's it's all about timing and, and perspective. Um, yeah. I've heard some some critics say, or just film fans say yeah. that they they don't like to slam a movie for that very reason. They don't mm. like to insult a, or or give a bad review mm-hmm. because they know somebody might see it on the right day, and yeah. they don't want to necessarily. Which is this is why I say it's hard to quantify because you yeah. can't guarantee that exactly. Yeah. Um, as critics, we can look at it and say, I can tell what you're trying to say, mm. and you failed, and you yeah. made a bad movie, PT, and we're going to say that and move on. Yeah. Uh, but uh, there was a line of dialogue from, I think it was from the Superman movie, mm. that a friend... Oh, from Lex Luthor? From Lex Luthor, where he yeah. says uh, something along the lines of, and I'm just paraphrasing, yeah. uh, one person can read all of the, the great works of human literature and walk away feeling cheated. Uh, another person can read ingredients off of the back of a box of Rice Krispies and unlock the secrets of the universe. Yeah. So things mean different things to different people. Yeah. Uh, 
there are some that are almost universal, but nothing's going to be completely universal. There's, there's a re- the classics in any artistic genre are usually considered such because a lot of people experience... Ma- many. Or, yeah, not everybody, yeah. but a lot of people share a similar experience with that media that they consider positive or profound or thoughtful in some way. Um, and the ones that people don't get that feeling from are the ones that we typically say are not very effective. They are not quote unquote good. However, there's going to come a day when someone will see that and it will be exactly what they needed. Mm-hmm. I've said this, but this is sort of told a million times, so I'll keep it brief. But, um, I was seriously considering quitting the business altogether and not being a, a critic anymore. Uh, it was just too damn hard. The industry is very difficult. Mm. Uh, it's difficult to make ends meet. It's, you, you almost never feel like you're really connecting to anybody. Mm. Is my work mattering? Uh, it's, the amount of turnaround you have to do in order to make a decent living at it uh, was very difficult. And that's if you're able to get a lot of work, which mm. is not necessarily the case. Uh, and I was I was seriously ready to give it up. And then I saw, of all fucking things, the John Hamm Disney movie Million Dollar Arm <laughs> Which is which not is a, a, fr- a Fred McMurray film. It's in modern a, day. It's, it's fluff. Yeah. It is a fluffy <laughs> film that has hardly a thought in its head. But the thought it had was: if you're gonna do something with your life, you should enjoy it. Mm. You should get something out of it. it. Should matter to you. And I was like, you know what? I do enjoy this, and I want to do it in a way that I enjoy it. And I'm not gonna let other people rob me of that. And that's why I'm still here. Because of million dollar arm of all fucking things. <laughs> it's a cute little movie. It's not a great movie, but I needed it that day. Mm. Like, literally that day I might have quit my job. And I didn't. Damn. There's the, the, and that's why we do it. When we when yeah. we have those moments. It's not even necessarily a good movie. Just yeah. a good moment in a film. A film just a film that connects point. to you. It has an idea that you know, unlocks to you. Or it's something you've... You, you felt in your mm-hmm. life or whatever, or some character reminds you of your parents or something. Just something. Yeah, That's all we're looking for. We Art is an attempt to communicate with people, not just a narrative, but thoughts, feelings, mm-hmm. ideas, uh, worldviews. Somebody, yeah. Somebody's reaching out to you. Great. Take their hand if, if you recognize it. Exactly. And that's the and we're all trying to find something to recognize. And we don't a lot of the time. Mm-hmm. And that's the tricky thing about art. So, mm-hmm. which is one of the reasons why we're constantly trying to make sure that people are aware of good movies that don't get a lot of publicity because mm. those are also handshakes and they might change your goddamn life. Yeah. Anyway, yeah. Uh, but See, thank you for a great letter. That's really beautiful. Uh, yeah, thanks for writing. And uh, those are all, our only physical letters. This week. This, this week. But uh, maybe the- yours is next. Write us in. Maybe <laughs> that sounds vaguely sinister. Uh, uh, maybe you're next. No, I was trying to. I was trying to make it sound like alluring. You know, mm. like hey, maybe you're next. Yeah, Can you like, figure it out? Can you? <laughs> I guess I'll try. Yeah, that's my job. Right. <laughs> uh, anyway, so we'll move on to some emails. Let's now. move on to some emails. Uh, here, here's an email. I got the emails up already. Here's an email from Cody. Hello, Cody. Hi, Cody. Um, hello, Mr. Bibiani and Mr. Seibold. Hi. I hope that both of you are doing great. Hanging in there. Yeah, rough week, but it's good to be here with Whitney. It's good to be here with all of our, our, mm-hmm. our letter-writing uh, listeners. Yeah, my, my job, it requires me to write for eight hours a day, five days a week. So I've been very productive. <laughs> I'm, I'm a little jealous. It sounds nice. Well, I mean, sometimes There's a downside. It's, it's a work. Fight to find things to say about, you know, yeah. 
the 2002 Jackie Chan film, The Tuxedo. You don't, you don't, uh, you, you don't get paid for something if it ain't work on some level. Yeah, I guess so. You know, but uh, uh, you're really good at it. I'm, I'm, I'm grateful for that. That's sweet of you to say. Um, on one of your recent episodes, I believe Whitney talked about having to take calculus multiple times in college. Yes, I did. I had to repeat that class. <sighs> I'm not proud of that. Uh, so that made me curious. What college classes did you hate? Ooh. For me, it was Spanish three. I had been at a previous school, and I thought I was done with Spanish classes. Two years later, I transferred schools and found out I had to take another Spanish class. Yeah, you need, like, the, the language point. Yeah. Uh, by that point, uh, the knowledge I had was gone. I ended up dropping the class twice before I finally passed it. Anyway, I look forward to your answers. Sincerely, Cody. Uh, yeah, so I went to UCLA. I went to the uh, School of uh, Film television and digital media but that's an undergrad program and uh for a couple of years i was there uh just filling out like basic requirements and um some of them are like you have to take some english classes i liked all my english classes you have to take some history classes i liked all my history classes uh science classes hit or miss i took a really nice paleontology class that was pretty fun that i actually like took some stuff away from uh-huh. uh i took a reasonably decent geology class which i learned a little bit from and still right. retained some of it and then i took oh, what the fuck was it called i took like basic computer studies okay. thinking it would be like you know here's some like basic computer yeah, maybe like, like yeah, html like or, or something yeah, yeah like that kind of thing no <laughs> it's just far more advanced no but... it was all about like artificial intelligence oh, and like crap. chaos right. theory and shit and i was like no 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 <laughs> this is just not for, a line for that bad no, no. so that yeah, was that sounds rough. amazing to me it was yeah. it was interesting but i couldn't grasp it enough to get a good grade on yeah. it yeah uh, i ended up having to drop that class it was just way over my head there there are a lot of uh Going to college was a lesson in how little I understood from high school, mm. and my yeah. life since college is a lesson on how little I actually understood in college. Yeah. Like, what they were trying to say and how how many years it took me to really grasp some of the ideas that they were trying to give me when I was 18. It's amazing. But I couldn't get it because I was 18. I was young. Yeah. I was immature. I didn't... I wish I could go wasn't back... in a position where I could uh, absorb that I feel stuff. like college would be something you do in your late 20s. Like, because mm. it's like, as a lot of people treat college as like, oh, it's your first time away from home and you're mm. finding yourself and you're and pushing learning the limits adult of stuff for the yeah, first time yeah. yeah like how many beers can you drink before you black out like well, that kind of thing drinking like, but well yeah. some people do my mm. point but my point is this a lot of people use it as sort of a life experience sort of thing and classes sometimes uh, if they're directly related to the thing you want to do feel very important and if not they don't mm -hmm. and they feel like just a thing you have to do and i if i had gone to college five years later I think I would have appreciated the classes I didn't enjoy more. Yeah. Because yeah. I feel as though this is an opportunity to immerse myself full-time in ideas and studies and uh, sciences uh, that in intersected with my life sometimes in very surprising ways. It was really interesting when I took like multiple classes that seemingly had nothing to do with each other and then they would just randomly overlap thematically in some way. Ah, okay. Find some interesting connection. Oh, but like, like literature I, and history kind of bump into each other. But like there were a couple of times where I was taking like a couple of like science guys like biology 101 which mm -hmm. I thought would be easy because it's biology 101 and it's like no that's the first step in a medical in a medical degree. Oh gosh. So they, it's actually like a weeding out and how many hundreds of dollars do you yeah. pay for that uh, textbook you can't sell back? Oh, yeah, like yeah. a lot. That was a class. This actually happened to me. Found out you had a test the next day. 
Oh, I no. missed I missed like two classes because I was doing some kind of project or something like oh. that. And then I found out, oh shit, there is a test and it counts for a lot of the grade. Yeah, and I had to run around. Cram I had, I had to sure. find people who took notes. Oh, I didn't even no. know them. Oh, I had to find random people who were nice enough to let me to let me like Xerox their notes. I did the studying. Okay. But I had to cram it. Yeah. And yeah. I retained none of it. And I regret that hmm. because I wish I had had the wherewithal and had the focus to realize this is a rare opportunity to learn stuff that I won't have an opportunity to later, mm. at the very least not in a guided environment, yeah, with people yeah. who know what they're doing and can translate it for me in a way that I can understand. So there were a lot of classes that I wish I had been able to glean more from. I wish I had been able to enjoy, but I was not mentally there for all of them. I was yeah, there for yeah. a lot of stuff I was pretty interested in. Again, history, English, art, film, all of that stuff super into it the sciences i i just didn't have my head in the game yeah uh i always liked the sciences in like high school Mm -hmm. by the time you get to you know college it's a little bit more specialized it's a lot more advanced yeah and uh so i my science course my first year in college was environmental science we're going to learn about sort of the way biomes work and ecosystems and and all the rest i thought oh that's you know I read National Geographic for kids. Yeah. I can understand what, you know, a biome, like what a swamp yeah, you is. You understand the, the broad strokes. And yeah. it's like, no, no, we're going to, like, go take water samples from, like, a local creek and, yeah. like, like, actually try to figure out, like, what chemical compositions are in it and how, how like, how badly it's polluted and where that might be coming. Yeah. It was like, that was a little bit too advanced. There are for whole what, like, YouTube capture. channels dedicated to that. To people, like, going to, like, a sump and yeah, then yeah. just, like picking up like a, a big scoop full of water mm. and some of the plant life and then just shoving it into basically a self-sustaining aquarium mm. and then just shining a light on it and just seeing all of the random animal species and plant species and bacterium that you just yeah, happened see, to if, capture and it's fascinating th- there was a time in my life when i i could have done that it was after college yeah um because you're also is, burned out. High school yeah. is like you're full of you're taking all this bunch of stuff. Yeah, there's a bunch of people who don't necessarily want to be there. Yeah, yeah. And like it's it's not necessarily the most an environment that's as prone to mm. sort of academic study as you would like. Yeah, high, so, a lot of high school is trying to get out of high school, but by then you're a little burnt out. Yeah, you know? I think I I, I, I value education. I know a lot Me of people too. have have been very burnt by education, have really bad schools, bad mm-hmm. teachers. And uh, and for that I I'm sorry uh, yeah. that I I feel like ultimately education is meant to be at least ideally a, a very positive experience where yeah. you're you're not and, and I've complained about this before it's not about vocation it's not about preparing you for a job to become a, a useful member of society it's about yeah. enriching your mind and learning about this world we live in yeah and uh, when you do uh, when it's done right you become a, a deeper more interesting person because you've learned mm-hmm. about a lot of new ideas and met a lot of new people yeah it, it's about taking uh, these concepts many of which are big and abstract mm-hmm. and basically showing you here's how they connect okay. to you. In, in a structured and yeah. structured enclosed environment yeah, like let, you're st- especially if you live on campus somewhere there's, uh, there's nothing more beautiful than that moment where someone's been like trying to teach you something for a long time you've read a bunch of books about it and then finally it clicks kinda, yeah you get it like, everything oh, like things kind of link up in a now way. i under, now uh, all of a sudden i just looked at it from the right angle and it's like mm-hmm. the magic eye painting like mm-hmm. oh right Right. Biology. I'll yeah. say this. There is one college course I took yeah. that I absolutely hated. What was that? And still hate to this day and wish I never took it. What is it? And that was accounting. Uh, really? Because... Now, when you I, would think that would be a for, practical and useful one. For two years, I went to college out of state. I majored in theater. I realized, no, I'm going to go back to L.A. So I came back to L.A. and yeah. I changed majors to film. I went to a different school. Uh, and... 
the uh, school I went to was more about fi- it wasn't about studying like the artistry of film, mm-hmm. uh, although we took like storytelling classes and we watched movies mm-hmm. and analyzed them. But it was more about business, so we learned right. things about pitch meetings and how to write a script that will sell. Yeah, that's, and, that's part of it. And part know? of it was accounting. How do you account for the money that's going to go into a movie? Practical stuff about making a film. These stuff are important you things. Stuff you don't get from a lot of film if, schools. If you want to make uh, movies, yeah. they cost even a cheap one costs mm-hmm. money, and actually the, planning for that is tricky. That's in theory, that's a good class. The only accounting class that I was uh, like eligible to attend was at seven thirty p.m. on a Friday night. Ooh. For okay, so I hate you already. Yeah, that's rough. Uh, secondly, the teacher. It was like out of like a Captain Underpants book. Like she, she was like a near villainous. Yeah, very. And yeah. how sort of indifferent she was to the room, and she. See, that's not like that's not a great. No, so a lot of a lot of education really is the right teacher. Yeah, so she yeah. and she kind of prowled around the room, like kind of stalking around a yeah. very tall, very wide woman in these floral dresses, and she's kind of like like stalking around. Everyone's like a little bit afraid of her. And at, at one point, she broke her foot, so she had this big cast on her foot, which meant she, like, kind of lumbered. Huh. And I, I... And no insult to the woman, but I could only think of the Trunchbull from the book Matilda. Mm-hmm. It was like a, kind of like a teacher who's There's an intimidation factor. Monster. Yeah, she so yeah. was really intimidating. Okay. Not cruel, but just mm. very overwhelming yeah. uh, personality. And I was so busy staring at her that I wasn't paying attention to the lesson. <laughs> Like, I was so scared of the teacher that it was difficult for me to pay attention to the lesson. I'm, like, 20 at this point. I'm still intimidated by this person. And I ended up missing the the final, so I ended up having to, like, make it up. But I had to go to, like, a different campus where she worked. Oh, wow. Like, which was way deep in the valley somewhere. Yeah. I I passed the course, uh, not with a very high grade, unfortunately. But there was a lot about accounting that was so dry. Yeah. And so uninteresting. I I had no interest in, in accounting whatsoever. It was just a requirement of the course. I hated every minute of it. Yeah. It took my Friday nights away from me. Mm-hmm. I, I, I was frightened of the teacher. Yeah. I, I wish I had never gone through that. There's a there's a line in the movie PCU, mm. which came out when I was uh, uh, in high school, where the, the college comedy genre had was largely moribund by the early nineties, but this is one of the last of the of the you know, Revenge of the Nerds school. And a lot of the movie has aged really badly. However, there's one bit of advice from PCU, which I learned the hard way in college, Mm -hmm. and I would advise this to just about anybody. Classes, nothing before 11. (laughs) If you can avoid it, nothing before 11. Because even even if you're a morning person, you're going to do a lot of late nights. Even if you're even if you're behaving yourself, mm. you're gonna study. You're gonna be doing yeah, projects. It's not about gonna, partying. No, it's well, like you're going to be pushing yourself, probably further than you should. Uh, you know, without like parental supervision, as I mean, your parents care about such a thing. Uh, <laughs> oh, I have a, oh I I have a, a late night project to do. I'll just drink two fucking jugs of coffee. You will be up late. I pulled. Multiple all-nighters throughout college, and I'm telling you, man, when you have like an 8 a.m. class, your focus isn't there. So that's the best advice that you can't always do it, but that's the best advice I can give anyone going to college. Try to avoid scheduling classes in the morning. You will miss more than you plan to, even mm-hmm. on a good, even if you're trying to be good. So, anyway, hopefully that answers the question. 
All right. Uh, let's move on. Here's a letter from Dr. Nova. Hello, Hi, Dr. Dr. Nova. We, we Good to hear from me again. We hear from Dr. Nova from time to time. Yeah. Uh, dear Bibbs, and uh, my name is just a, a, a string of wingdings. Nice. Little, little, I wonder if we uh, translated the wingdings. It would uh, be your name. Uh, it might be Rockmeister McCool. Maybe. Um, with all the streaming services out there now, mm. I've been thinking a lot about the best one. Ovid. Ah. <coughs> um, not a sponsor. No. I'm just fond of Ovid. Yeah. Wait, uh, if, they, I, if they offered, you would do it. Pardon? If, if Ovid offered to sponsor our show, you would. Oh, absolutely! Yeah, yeah, you believe in that? You believe in that? You actually—that's one I actually like, yeah. like to promote. We, we, uh, we have commercials in front of our show. We actually don't have any meaningful control over what those commercials are. Although, please, on a couple of you have pointed out to us on a couple of occasions, we've had commercials for weird right-wing stuff. Yeah, like, like conspiracy the, the, novel or this, something this got weird, promoted a lot that long. This ago, weird essay like somebody wrote about uh, how how left wing the Supreme Court was. Now I don't know. Yeah, yeah, you read bizarre. that, but, uh, but like if there's anything that is ever advertised on this show, I know this is a tangent, but if there's ever anything that is advertised on this show that feels like something that Whitney and I clearly do mm-hmm. not support, anything right wing, anything, any one of those like sexist commercials. About like, hey, if you want to have sex, you can't ever lose your hair or some bullshit like that. Please, please let us know. We can veto things. Yeah. But they just don't run every single thing by us beforehand. So please let us know. Anyway, uh, back to the letter. Back to the letter. Um, I've come, uh, I have some criteria on what I look for in a streaming service, mm. says Dr. Nova. Uh, number one, the content is not owned by one company. Mm. So that that not keeps... just Disney, not just Universal, yeah, so, not just Warner Brothers. Yeah. yeah. So so I guess that that would leave mm. uh, Peacock, Paramount, and Disney are out. Uh, uh, is that, that the only th- mostly? Yeah. Uh, HBO is Warner Brothers, but they have other stuff. They do have other stuff yeah. too. That's true. Yeah. Uh, uh, number two, it supports independent creators. Mm. Number three, it hosts a wide variety of TV shows. Uh, movies and other TV shows, movies and other media. So it's yes. not, 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 not exclusively one, exclusively or the other. a film channel. And uh, number four, it's free. <laughs> well, yeah. Um, there is one, only one winner, which is YouTube. Uh, correction: Canopy is free. Mm. Canopy with a K. You get it with your library card. Okay. It's, it hooks you up with. A not everyone has service. access to it. Though. Not everybody has access to it. It's not widely available. And if you're international, I have no idea. But I know here in the United States, there's a, a service called Canopy with a K, mm-hmm. which you you go on with your library card. It will hook you up through your local library, and you will be able to stream whatever videos they have in their database. And mm-hmm. that is TV shows. That it's is pretty movies. extensive. It's a lot that that is not available. Yeah. Um, and uh, another one that's free is Tubi. Mm-hmm. We've talked a lot about Tubi. Tubi is like, you know, the the rundown kind of creepy video store from your neighborhood from yeah. like 1997. Their selection is impeccable. The only real... It has commercials, but they're not as intrusive as they often... Even on YouTube. Mm. Uh, the downside is that they are owned by Fox. That's not the Fox that Disney bought. The, the Fox f- News end of it. So yes. you're going to see ads for like... A lot of right-wing Carlson bullshit. The yeah, there's yeah. going to be a lot of right-wing bullshit. The news channels that they offer are pretty much all right-wing. That's a bummer. And yeah, by watching it and like seeing the ads... Mm. You're technically supporting Fox. Mm. That sucks. However, there's a ton of stuff there that is literally not available anywhere else, yeah, yeah. and I have to respect that. But uh, Dr. Nova is going to talk up the virtues of YouTube. Please do. Um, YouTube has a lot of old movies and TV shows that are either in the public domain or no one cares about. Plus, the BBC puts Taskmaster on there as long as you use a VPN or are in the UK. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm not nearly tech-savvy enough. To I have, I've, I've been told that if you attach a VPN... Mm. To your laptop, I assume it's like a small box. I don't know. 
the fuck it is. It's it's I, a little, it, it's a little robot uh, oh. that, that spins tops. Neat. Okay, but if you attach the robot that spins the tops, you can access like internet that's supposed to be region coded. Like you can get like the like, the internet you'd get in right. Canada, or and as a result, certain things that would only be available in those markets become available to you. That sounds really really awesome. I have no idea. Yeah. <laughs> no, none right, um, whatsoever how to do that. I am 40. I am done learning things. Uh, Dr. Nova continues. Yeah. Uh, furthermore, I know at least three directors who, due to the pandemic, released their movies onto YouTube. Mm. While old TV shows and movies streaming nowhere else are available. Plus, Google owns just the streaming rights to an entire library of movies, which are on YouTube. Uh, throw in podcasts and mm-hmm. well-made videos on any topic yeah. you want, and boom, it's the best streaming service. As a bonus, it's both free if you uh, and if you want. Premium also includes music. Uh, Doctor yeah. Nova, um, um, YouTube I, is a very strange animal. It is because when it debuted, I think the very first one was like a guy just hanging out at the zoo. Uh, you can look it up; it's still on YouTube. Yeah, it was like it, um, YouTube was actually created. Uh, there was a website called HotOrNot.com, very sexist, mm-hmm. and basically you would post a picture. And then people would have an option of clicking this person is hot or this person is not hot. Presumably you'd be posting yourself, but you could do your friend. There was no no rule. And uh, the creators of YouTube thought, what if we did that but with videos? Mm. And that was the whole premise of YouTube. You could upload a video and people could like or dislike it. That was it. And... It came out in a marketplace which really didn't have that, and then streaming it, was brand new at the time. Well, because streaming speeds were relatively new. Like you, you well, it in, used in, to be like, like, in like two thousand, it would have been really difficult to stream a um, movie. Well, you, you or, or even a video clip. You couldn't. You had to download the the uh, yeah. the, the file first before you could watch it. There and, you go. That's, our, and, that's a good and, point. And uh, yeah. a lot of it was dial up. I remember uh, the big wave of when first of all when South Park first started uh, oh, yeah. coming around. That was shared widely online. You know, yeah. like and you would wait for like a day and a half, and you get a third of an episode. Like yeah. that's that's how slow the speeds were. I, I remember uh, downloading the, the trailer to the Phantom the Menace. Phantom it was Menace. a minute and a half. It took all day. It took all. You downloaded all day. Somebody yeah. picked up the phone. You had to start over. Oh, and, uh, I know. Mom, I'm trying to download the Phantom Menace. Nah. Um, th- and that's how I saw the preview for the first time. Was uh, that's how a lot of people saw the preview for the first time? Or no, you know what? I saw it in the theater for the first time. Oh, but then, okay. then I saw it again at a, a friend's house after yeah. they had uh, downloaded that the whole thing. Magic. But uh, sometime when YouTube first launched was like streaming was still a bit of a novelty. Uh, it was at least mm-hmm. like at least only a few years old. Yeah, and. Uh, so you could actually like click on a video and it would just sort of feed into your system mm-hmm. immediately. It would stream in, hence the the name. Yeah. Uh, so uh, yeah, some guy was hanging out at at the zoo. We put this video up, mm-hmm. and uh, you could all all of a sudden just sort of put on whatever you wanted. And a lot of people yeah. were using. That's where sort of vlogs mm-hmm. started coming. People just telling you about their day. Mm-hmm. Uh, this was the time of Live Journal as well. So it was all very yeah. personal at the time. Hence the name YouTube. It was belonged to you. It became so big that eventually ads started creeping in. Well, what happened was and Google, the Wild West era kind of ended. Google bought it actually really quickly, and they bought mm. it for I think over a billion dollars. Mm. And if you, I just saw a documentary about this. It's called the YouTube Effect. It isn't out yet. I saw it at a film festival screening link. Uh, it's a new film from director Alex Winters, uh, who of oh, course cool. was uh, Bill from Bill and Ted. Did um, the Zappa documentary recently. Yeah, and he's a good documentary filmmaker, and so he did a film that's all about the history uh, of YouTube, the ups and downs, and you know, there, there's enough in there for a Ken Burns documentary. They did a pretty good job of condensing it to like two hours. Um, but he talks about the history of it and talks about how, like, initially when Google bought YouTube, it was seen as a hugely stupid idea. 
Like, everyone's like, that's a terrible waste of money. You're never going to get your money back on that. Uh, and then what happened was Google started putting ads on it. And then you could make money based on the ads and how yeah, many clicks you got. It, it and then once people really mercenary, once, real fast. once it became getting more clicks isn't just a nice thing to do, and you're finding an audience, but it's actually a way to make money. Then people started doing anything they could to make money, mm. and that was what pretty clearly and succinctly started YouTube's steady decline into fascist bullshit. Yeah. Because people started putting in more extreme views in order to, to get approach clicks, people. Yeah. And then algorithms were created in order to steer you towards stuff that was getting the most engagement. What's getting the most engagement? The most extreme stuff. Mm-hmm. So YouTube, and watch a documentary, it's quite good, has a lot to answer for yeah. <laughs> in society. Yeah. In terms of misinformation, in terms of the spread of white supremacy and other extreme viewpoints. Um, however... It's also a great database of video stuff. Yeah. And that is 100% true. There's a lot of really uh, wonderful people who have archived old videos and TV shows that no one even knows who owns most of these things sometimes. That's why they're still up there. No one Mm. cares. So you're able to find TV shows from 1971 that aired for two episodes. That's how we find some of our shows on Cancel Too Soon. Because there's the only place they exist. Mm. That can be great. That is an archive. That is incredibly useful. So on that level, YouTube can be really, really great. But much like Tubi, there's a dark side to it. Yeah, I, I, I remember reading a study, I don't know how true this is, mm. where uh, somebody just left YouTube on like automatic play and they mm-hmm. just watched one of their kind of favorite kinds of videos. Like, yeah. oh, we're going to taste funny foods. Kind and then of it video. will re- play the and next recommended like, video. Play next rec- recommended and just keep on playing automatically. And yeah. I think uh, no matter where they started, within like six videos, they were already at like like white supremacy stuff yeah it was all like hate speech came up real fast no matter like within six videos yeah like that's how short the path is there was a Uh, there was a statistic in that movie Mm. they listed and honestly this seems low to me but Mm. uh they said i think 10 percent of youtube is conspiracy videos oh my god which is which sounds on one hand that sounds low on the other hand if you like pay attention it feels like there's a lot think of how many videos there are on youtube Millions uh, mil- upon yeah. millions more, upon millions. Probably more, billions. More than the population of Earth could consume in their entire lives. That's true. Uh, and think of how much of that is dedicated oh to bullshit. Why, why that's are trying you, to convince you it's real. Why are you watching conspiracy videos? You're on the internet. Porn is right there. It's, <laughs> it's better. Better use of your time. My God. You've got porn just, and Star Trek. What more do you just want? Just know who made your porn. Ethical porn. Please. Yes, ethical uh, porn. Always uh, ethical porn, obviously. Yeah, por- porn yeah. and Star Trek are right there. Yeah, ethical Star Trek. Uh, but uh, in any case, but you're right. You, t- I watch a lot of stuff on YouTube. I watch a lot of videos made by uh, people who do online essays of things, and that's a lot of great uh, sort of uh, proto-documentarian stuff is, is on YouTube right now. It's really, really wonderful. Uh, I watch shows that my friends make, and I get to partic- I get to jump into the comments and interact with them in real time. That's wonderful. Mm. That's a great thing to do. Uh, and then every once in a while, they just give you something evil. <laughs> it's yeah. just really, really terrible. But uh, then again, one, so does Tubi. One, one, one more brief story. Yeah. Um, my, my son is seven now. He's he's grown out of uh, this the, the era of his life when he was watching toddler YouTube. Uh-huh. But toddler YouTube is a thing, and there's this weird uh, trend of and he was he was all yeah. about these videos when he was little. When he's like three, yeah, uh, he liked to watch videos that were uh, you know, very simple animations, not yeah. stories, not characters, 
just animated uh, scenarios. Well, I, where I, there was, there I was, was a, I was over at your house once, and I was you you were in the other room, and I was just watching these videos with Henry and when he was a kid, and one of them was just a truck, and this is this little CGI truck, like yeah. super simple, really rudimentary, friendly stuff, animation, yeah. white background. Yeah, nothing it's like it's like yeah. it's like a red truck drives into like a blue pool of water, like completely submerged, and oh. it dries up, and now it's a blue truck. Yeah, that's then, it. And then a disembodied, vo- that was disembodied the voice will say blue. Yeah. And then uh, there's like a whole uh, rainbow of colors, and a white yeah. truck will drive into each color and it'll emerge and it'll say the name of the color. Yeah. And, you know, or, or it's it's a garage, and a button depresses on the top of its own volition, and it opens up, and a dinosaur comes out, and it's pink. And the disembodied voice is pink. Yeah. Uh, these videos have literally millions of views. Yeah. I'm not sure if this is a lot of parents parking their. Uh, toddlers in front of these things mm-hmm. but i suspect it's other computers watching those things really because a lot of these computers seem automated they mm. don't seem like they were animated by a person yeah because the uh the music is all like public domain yeah the the models for the animations are all the same from video to video like clearly these things can be made automatically after a while yeah and you know this is true because they start picking up algorithms and putting weird things in these movies yeah like uh, you'll read some articles about how well kids like baby animals so here's a baby animal in the video okay good okay. cute baby bunny like yeah. a kitten or something who doesn't like that everybody likes baby animals kids like baby in movie babies we'll have babies okay kids like baby related things diapers pregnancy kids like pregnancy here's a video mm-hmm. of elsa from frozen giving birth yeah, yeah it's yeah. like weird like that's the algorithm and, for and then, it. Yeah, it, fucks, and then, it like it'll find they like playing in the sand yeah. and there's a lot of videos of like here's spider-man breaking into a clown's apartment and then taking him to the park and burying them up to their neck yeah it's like that's in a toddler video that yeah. seems like well something there's also automated and this is also something that was in the youtube effect actually yeah. it was that they talked about how um they created these channels that were supposedly for children animation Family-friendly things. And then, well, what happened is people would, because they saw the engagement these were getting, they would come up with, like, parody cartoons where here's this kid's cartoon thing, but now it's really upsetting. Like, a, like you might think of this like a SpongeBob creepypasta or something like that, where now, like, the images are really frightening or nightmarish. Uh, but YouTube would incorporate those in the same algorithm. So, oh, you like the harmless one? You'll like this upsetting one, and mm. all of a sudden, that's what your kids are saying. Like, it's... Not well handled mm-hmm. in a lot of ways. But again, on a sort of rudimentary level, when you look at YouTube, if we were able to take the algorithm out of it and if we were able to take the monetization out of it, and I realize that might not be practical. But if we could do that, and it was just people can upload videos for the sake of posterity, that part's great. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of There's a lot of people who are actually preserving media history in ways that there might not be an interest otherwise mm. and uh, I'm grateful for it. So mm. that on that level, YouTube is really, really great. We're just saying there's also like a lot of bizarre yeah, stuff and downsides weird, as well. Yeah, so, but yeah, YouTube is, YouTube is an incredibly as important if, like part of our media consumption right now, mm. honestly. And I, I watch it every single day. I don't intend to. It's not <laughs> yeah. like, I'm going to watch YouTube right now. It's like, no, I just, no, that's we, where the media is. We've made it a lot of, uh, yeah. I, there are a lot of, uh, they're called creators, yeah. just showrunners who, yeah. who have their shows on YouTube. And yeah. uh, we watch a morning show on YouTube, uh, Rhett and Link, Good Mythical Morning. There you go. Uh, they, yeah, they have a show and just these two guys about my age from uh, 
I think they're from North Carolina. Okay. And, I don't watch and, and a lot of their videos are just like food challenges. What's mm-hmm. what's we're gonna put on blindfolds and see what's better, Pizza mm-hmm. Hut or Domino's? That kind of very light, simple morning stuff. I, I but love we watch uh, it. I, I'm a big fan of uh, Toy Galaxy, which is a, a, a web channel, a YouTube channel that's dedicated to the history of toy lines. Now we've had some of those like the toys that made us on Netflix, but imagine like if they've done like hundreds by now, mm. and a lot of them are like toy lines that are like super obscure, and they've started to do a few more like you know TV shows and things, and it's just pretty condensed ten to twenty minute histories of pop culture ephemera, and the more obscure, the more interesting as far as I'm concerned. So that kind of thing, I, I watch that stuff all the time. It's mm. great. Anyway, All right, I think we have time for one more. Here's another letter. Um, this one comes from... Uh, there's no name at the bottom. If you don't sign off, it's name redacted. So yep. this one comes from name redacted. Fair enough. Um, it is a Star Trek correction. Oh. Probably for me, because I'm the one who says all the... the when is the one who bra- says bra- stuff with confidence? Bra- Brazen know-it-all stuff about Star Trek. Yeah. Um, during the, uh, the All Our Yesterdays, the Emissary episode, which is our most recent. Oh, yeah, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Which is one of the... I think it's the second, to, third to last episode la- of, oh, yeah. of uh, season two. Yeah, we're going to yeah. do uh, peak performances our next yeah, episode. This is the one where uh, Worf yeah. meets a uh, person who would become, and for a while at least, the love of his life. Yeah, uh, yeah. Kalar is the character's name. Yeah. Um, a tangent occurred which... Uh, which eventually went to uh, Picard, saving the Captain Picard Day banner over the Curlin Nyskos, the artifact given to him by Professor Galen in the episode called The Chase. So this is a really nerdy conversation. (laughs) I love it. Thank you for writing this. Thank you for writing this. Little context. Um, Picard is is, uh, an archaeology enthusiast. And at one point, an old professor of his presents him with like this 5,000-year-old alien artifact. Yeah, it's like like a museum piece. Yeah, and and it's especially where it's complete it's like this nesting doll where he lifts off the top and there's like mm. five little things inside and they don't find these complete sets in yeah. the, according to the mythology of star trek at the end of star trek generations mm-hmm. we see picard pick that thing up and it's after the it's it, after the enterprise after the has crashed. crashed so they're they're digging yeah. through the wreckage of the enterprise yeah. he picks up the top of this thing and just sort of puts it down and ends up picking up a book and taking that with him instead. Mm-hmm. And then later in the TV show, Star Trek Picard, we find sort of like a, a storage locker where he's mm-hmm. keeping a bunch of old stuff. And the Captain Picard Day banner from the episode Disaster. Which is where all is, the kids on the Enterprise you know, decide to have a holiday which, celebrating Captain Picard. And uh, and some kids won like an essay contest. So they, they won a tour around the ship with Captain Picard, which he hates because he hates children. That was established throughout yeah. the show. So episode one that was established. So, so he, he kept the banner, but he threw away this 5,000-year-old yeah. artifact. And I... And I, and I Think you know, sentiment aside, even a piece of that artifact has value. Absolutely, that was, that does, was your yeah, argument. Yeah, but yeah, that was um, the original argument. Let's read this letter and find out why Whitney uh, is wrong about everything. Whitney says that the Curlin Nice Ghost breaks in the crash, and Picard just throws it aside and doesn't keep the piece. Five thousand years old. You, you keep a fragment of that. It doesn't matter. It's still significant. He doesn't keep it, but he keeps the fucking Captain Picard Day banner. That's a quote from me. I love um, it. Thank you for quoting him directly. <laughs> the Curlin Nice Ghost does not break in the crash. Picard held it up and places it onto the ground. It wasn't forceful. It was not thrown down. Presumably it was recovered when the ship was salvaged. One would hope. The Curlin Nice Ghost does not break in the crash. Picard held it up and places it on the ground. Uh, in fact, we see the Curlin Nice Ghost at, in the same quantum storage that Whitney talks about. And there's a oh, photograph from Oh my Picard. god, well, let me see this shit. Hold on, I, I gotta look really... There's like arrows pointed to oh where it god, is. Oh my god, is there really? That's amazing. Uh, behind the scenes content shows that it was indeed in the item. Okay. okay. I can't see. Oh yeah, there it is. The, uh, the see if you could see the the Starfleet logo in the back. It's below that. Yeah, I think again, it's your phone isn't zooming very well, oh, but yeah. yeah, I can see that. Yeah. <laughs> okay, I'm right. reading this off my phone here. Yeah, yeah, it's fine. Um, 
Yeah, behind the scenes. Yeah, um, what what probably caused Whitney's confusion is that Red Letter Media's review of Star Trek Generations included <laughs> Red Letter Media is another mm-hmm. YouTube show that I enjoy. Uh, their review of Star Trek Generations included a comedic gag of. Uh, gag of pottery breaking they added a pottery breaking oh my god is that what you're no, remembering that's, I, I actually know that that there wasn't a shattering sound effect in generations like that okay. it was added to highlight the perceived differences between the show picard and the movie picard except that's not true okay i didn't see that he had kept it in star trek picard it looks like and again i haven't seen star uh, trek picard whitney's ahead of me on star trek it looks like they don't go out of their way to show it no, so I, that, there's, that's no, no. defensible. But if it's if the, it's the in camera, there, fair enough. The camera lingers on, on the Captain Picard Day yeah. banner, and yeah. uh, the whole point of that scene is he's actually found a painting that Data had done a long time ago mm. that we actually never saw him do. Okay, he, he paint he painted one of the characters from Picard. It was never on Next Generation. Got it. And it's supposed to link up with something that was in Data's. It's, 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 it's a, a plot confusing. point. It's a plot yeah. point. Yeah. Uh, okay. Fair. Yeah, Whitney's wrong. I was wrong. Yeah. I'm wrong about everything. I I, I don't think you were wrong about something embarrassing. Mm -hmm. Like, it was just like, like if you had gone on for an hour about how Leonard Nimoy's direction of Star Trek V was pretty shoddy compared to his previous two Star Trek films, that would be a major whoopsie, Mm -hmm. because that's very clearly wrong, and a lot of people would know that. You you missed something. I, I think we can all forgive that. But it's right. good that we know it. Okay. Yeah, it's good that we know that. Yeah, I, I know that he placed it down, but that, that he didn't yeah. very carefully handle that 5,000-year-old mm-hmm. artifact. There's still, still an element of it that rubs you the wrong yeah. way. That yeah. he puts it down and gets a book instead. It's like, you know, yeah. some, sometimes, you know, you can... You, you, someone can correct you on, like, the letter of the thing. You know, the actual abject truth of the thing. But you realize after that's been corrected, it's still kind of bugging you. And you realize it's more of the attitude. It's more of the tone. Mm. That was really what was insulting than the actual act itself. Uh, But that's just life, isn't it? Anyway, that is it for We've Got Mail this week. Thank you, everybody, for listening. Thank you, everybody, for writing in. we got a really interesting crop of letters this week. Yeah. uh, As we always do. But this is a fun one. The physical letters are always fun. Always fun. And if you want to write in... You can do so very easily via email. Our email address is letters at criticallyacclaimed.net. Or if you would like to hear your uh, the papers that you email us uh, uh, crinkled aloud on mic. Uh, Whitney, what is our P.O. box? People want to send us a letter. Sometimes yeah. people send us stuff. We got wonderful uh, postcards here. Too. Yeah, send it to the crit- Critically Acclaimed Network, P.O. Box 641565, Los Angeles, California, 90064. Yeah, always a pleasure hearing from you, whoever you want to contact us. Uh, if uh, you don't feel like contacting us that way, you can always contact us on Twitter. We're at Critic Acclaim. I myself am at William Bibiani. I myself am at Whitney Seibold. If you would like to listen in to our Star Trek podcast, which is a Patreon exclusive, and we have several hundred episodes I think now and they're well over 100 and we're going to keep getting bigger and bigger uh, it's a giant back catalog the second you uh, uh, enlist uh, our Patreon is patreon.com slash critically acclaimed network we also have podcasts dedicated to the Academy Awards Batman, we do commentary tracks we have trivia nights, tons of stuff over there at patreon.com slash critically acclaimed network available the moment you uh, subscribe. So thank you to all of our subscribers for helping us stay afloat. We would not be here without you. We cannot thank you enough. You mean the world to us. If you can't afford to participate uh, on Patreon, we totally get it. If you want to help the show, uh, please leave us a review wherever you find us, Apple Podcasts, wherever. 
all the actual like review not just the star rating that helps too but like an actual like written down review even if it's just one sentence that is that's the algorithm uh, at work and they will say oh this is getting engagement and they'll recommend us to more people and we can find an even bigger audience and hopefully do even bigger things in the future so even that much really really helps uh, but in any case, thank you everybody for listening. Thank you everybody for writing in. Uh, we think you're all really, really amazing. Uh, and uh, yeah, we'll be back soon with more stuff. So uh, have a good week. Sincerely yours, Bibs and Whitney.